The gospel today is from the book of Mark, the 10th chapter. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children in fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Joni. You may be seated. grace to you and peace this morning. So believe it or not, this is not actually a story about the dangers of wealth. I mean, it is, um, but that's just the appetizer. And there will be, I assure you, many, many other weeks for us to focus on the dangers of greed because it is one of the most consistent messages throughout the Bible. There are plenty of other stories about it. And if you're looking to learn this lesson, it's like you don't even need to look at the Bible. This is human wisdom. Every religion on earth worth its weight in salt is suspicious of wealth. This is um, something that American pop culture even gets right, at least some, sometimes. Who, for instance, can forget the warning of the emptiness that lurks inside a life full of wealth and glamour from that unlikely prophet, Britney Spears, who sings in her 2000 hit, 
lucky if there's nothing missing in my life, then why do these tears come at night? The man in today's reading might have well been singing that chorus when he came to Jesus. He is well off and morally upright. He lives a very good life by most people's standards, yet he is plagued by the sense that something's missing. His restless heart has not been stilled by either obtaining possessions or adhering to a moral code. And so he goes to Jesus to figure out what it is that he must do differently. How can I inherit eternal life, he asks. We hear this and immediately think about heaven. But a better translation here for eternal life might be the life of the ages. A life that is so saturated by God that it reaches across this life and into the next. True life. That's what this man wants. Jesus senses that this man is coming to him not to challenge him or test him, but because he genuinely desires God. And so Jesus engages with him. You know the commandments, Jesus says, and rattles off several of the Ten Commandments. Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth, the man replies with frustration and dismay. This is not the answer he was looking for. He had been keeping these commandments and still coming up empty inside. Jesus does not respond to this exasperation. Instead, there is a period of silence as Jesus simply looks at this man. What transpired in this silence? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I imagine that as Jesus watches him with patience, this man thinks about the commandments that Jesus has just named. And in the silence between him and Jesus, he realizes that Jesus has left one out, a big one. Jesus invokes half of the Ten Commandments to this man. He invokes five, six, seven, eight, and four, to be precise. But he leaves off number one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This chief commandment that Jesus leaves out It's qualitatively different from the other ones. You see, we can, by our own efforts, refrain from murdering people and lying and cheating and stealing and abandoning our parents. We can do that if we try really hard. We can will ourselves into outward compliance with this type of commandment. But we can do so while our heart remains unchanged. You can resent someone's existence and still not kill them. You can lust after wealth and still not steal. 
You can hide from doing the work a marriage requires and still not commit adultery. While your will and your body keep following the commandments, your heart can wander into all sorts of unfertile ground. Not so with the first commandment. Keeping it requires your entire self. You can't go halfway on this commandment because God demands our complete and total faith. This isn't because God is greedy or selfish or needs the attention. It's because God knows how our hearts work. God made us after all, and God made us so that we would seek after God. God made it so that part of being human is that we look for God and for the meaning and fulfillment and wholeness that true life with God brings. God made each one of us with a restless heart, a heart that is restless until it can find something outside itself to fix itself on in hope and trust, something to turn to for aid and refuge. Ideally, our hearts do this with God and find rest in God's love. But we know too well that there are so many things that are not God, that our hearts look to for ultimate fulfillment, for the true life of hope and refuge that only God can give. For the man in the reading, it's his possessions. He turns to them for a sense of security. He turns to them to remind himself who he is. His possessions are his God. But there are so many other things that could have taken that place. He could have made a God out of his own power, or the rush that comes with being right, or the illusion of importance that comes with being busy. His God could have been his political ideology, or a rigid sense of politeness or his unexamined need to just be there and please other people no matter what. It could have been his desire to control how his kids turned out, or the approval of his lover, or reliving the good old days of his youth or the glory days of his church. There is so much out there for our hearts to wrap themselves around and to wait on with the expectation that it's going to make us whole. We know it's not. Deep down, if we can make ourselves sit still for like five seconds, we know that there's a sense of desperation to the way our hearts cling to these things and look for security and look for being reminded of who we are. We know that these things are never going to bring us true hope, true wholeness, and true life. Only God can bring us these things. That is what this story is about. Not wealth, but the way we give our hearts to things like wealth, 
when our hearts belong to God. That's what emerges in this silence between Jesus and the wealthy man. It begins to dawn on this man what it is that has become God to him. In the silence, he begins to realize that his possessions cannot actually protect his soul from being wounded, and that his identity is deeper than the correct moral life he's living. He sees that he must revisit the first commandment. But keeping the first commandment isn't like keeping any of the other ones. We can't just decide we're going to put all our faith in God, set aside 15 minutes to do it, and check it off our list. It's a lifelong process that unfolds day by day. Because try as we might, our hearts will make gods of things that are not God before we have a chance to notice or perceive it. And I'm not saying this to shame you all or to call you bad people. It's just an acknowledgement of what our lived reality is. It doesn't matter how hard we try. Our hearts will find something out there that isn't God and look to it as though it is. We cannot successfully keep the first commandment on our own. This is dismaying news. The rich man goes away grieving, and Jesus remarks how hard it is for people who have made a God out of something that is not God to enter the true God's kingdom. The disciples wonder aloud to Jesus, then who can be saved? Who indeed? If it were up to us to enter God's kingdom, not one of us would make it there. We get so entangled and distracted by the petty and lifeless stuff along the way that we end up giving our hearts to, that we'd never get on the road that leads to true life with God. But Jesus also says this, what is impossible for mortals is possible with God. It might be true that we cannot enter God's kingdom on our own, but it is also true that God then brings the kingdom to us as pure gift. Listen again to how the first of the Ten Commandments begins, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This list of commandments begins not with what we need to do for God, but what God has already done for us. Before we can decide whether or not we want our heart to trust in God, God already acts for our good, and for all human freedom. That's grace. God desires true life for us, and God brings this life to us not by testing us and seeing just how faithful we can be, but by inviting and encouraging us to rest our hearts in God by first acting in love toward us and showing us grace. I wish the rich man had caught on to this, 
he went away grieving, and he missed something crucial. Perhaps you did too. It's a small detail, but an impactful one. Before Jesus gives the command for this man to sell his possessions, the Bible tells us that Jesus loved him. This man heard Jesus' words as a strict command, but what they were was, an, was a loving invitation to abundant life. And there's a difference there, isn't there? There's a difference between disavowing your possessions or whatever it is that you've given your heart to, to try and prove that you have faith, and disavowing them because you have grasped that Jesus looks at you and loves you. There's a difference between giving up your possessions in order to get to true life with God and giving them up because giving them up is part of the way of true life with God that God has already begun in you. This man missed his chance, but you haven't missed yours. Jesus is looking at you, and Jesus is loving you. Free your hearts from what holds them to rest in God alone, and follow the one who has already shown you grace, and whose way is true life. Amen.